Welcome to Destination Disaster. I am your host, Devin Carney. Episode 2. For those who celebrated the Thanksgiving holiday here in the United States, I hope all of you were able to enjoy the time off and celebrate those around you. As you recover from your food coma to engage in post-Thanksgiving capitalism fun, please remember to stay safe as there is still a virus running rampant throughout the community. Unfortunately, just because there is a vaccine available, it doesn't mean that the pandemic is anywhere near done. While numbers do show a decline in cases, we must remember that there are still two major holidays ahead of us that include gatherings and the potential for increased community spread. Please remember to stay safe, distance yourselves from others when possible, and wear a mask if you are encountering large groups that aren't your normal family unit. As we continue to grow, please consider joining my Patreon. There are three different tiers, and all come with a special gift at your three-month anniversary. These donations aren't for me. They are to build a larger community with this podcast. Each month, a portion of donations will be donated to a charity of your choice. While I love the larger charities that provide so much for the community, my goal is to help the smaller charities that focus on more vulnerable populations. And as always, if you are unable to join, all I ask is that you follow me on Instagram and Twitter and continue to share my podcast with your friends, families, and community. And the final bit of housekeeping right here. While most of us are in much-needed time off right now, burnout is a real thing that is plaguing the workforce. Working from home has led to those facing several challenges such as backing away from the computer and setting that boundary of when to stop for the day. It can be challenging to set those boundaries when the work computer is 5 feet away from you. I've provided some additional resources in the show notes that can help address the burnout and how to alleviate that stress as we look towards the holiday seasons. I know for a fact that many employers expect far too much from their staff to include work in extreme hours and long into the night. This isn't only wrong, but it takes a mental toll after such a short time. Do yourself a favor and back away from the desk. This week, we're going to be discussing one of the oldest natural phenomena here on the planet Earth and worlds millions of miles away in the solar system. Volcanoes have been around since the formation of the Earth and have literally helped shape the planet that we call home today. In fact, hundreds of volcanoes are still actively forming new island chains that many could potentially call home in the next few hundred thousand years. Volcanoes are extremely dangerous in nature and should be avoided when there is a threat of an eruption. There are several risk factors for those in the radius of an eruption, such as exposure to extreme temperatures, being killed by the pyroclastic flow, and flying rocks. While it is a great photo opportunity, please don't make it your last. Such secondary events as the pyroclastic flow, which is a combination of extremely hot gases, dust, and fine particulate matter, can reach temperatures between 200 and 700 degrees Celsius. For my Fahrenheit friends, that is between 392 and 1,292 degrees. Additionally, these flows have been recorded at traveling well beyond 200 meters per second. So unfortunately, no, you cannot race it down the side of the mountain. While I do joke in portions of this podcast, what I do take seriously is the preparation for these eruptions. I live in proximity to a dormant volcano that is called Molehill, whose last eruption was over 47 million years ago. And to be completely honest with you, This isn't on my list of immediate risks to prepare for. However, for those in proximity to active volcanoes, the time to prepare is now. 
Don't wait until the warning of an eruption to prepare, because as I've said in all of my other episodes, when the warning occurs, it is too late to do anything except run or find shelter. For those of you who may be new to the topic or just haven't really researched volcanoes at all, according to the United States Geological Survey, volcanoes are openings or vents where lava, tephra, or small rocks and steam erupt onto the Earth's surface. Many mountains form by folding, faulting, uplift, and erosion of the Earth's crust. Volcanic terrain, however, is built by the slow accumulation of erupted lava. The vent may be visible as a small, bowl-shaped depression at the summit of a cone or shield-shaped mountain. Through a series of cracks within and beneath the volcano, the vent connects to one or more linked storage areas of molten or partially molten rock. This connection to fresh magma allows the volcano to erupt over and over again in the same location. In this way, the volcano grows even larger until it is no longer stable. Pieces of the volcano collapse as the rock falls or landslides. Eruptions occur when gases build pressure within the rock, pushing the magma and tephra toward the surface. The magma eats away at the weaker portions of the crust and ultimately leads to an eruption. The average age of the volcanoes throughout the world are between 10,000 and 100,000 years old. These are newer volcanoes that are still actively growing and erupting. There are currently 169 active volcanoes here in the United States, with the majority being located in Alaska. Globally, there are approximately 1,350 active volcanoes. There are three main types of volcanoes that each have a specific structure, eruption type, and identifying characteristics. The first volcano that we're going to discuss is a stratovolcano, better known as a composite volcano. These are tall, conical-shaped volcanoes composed of one layer of hardened lava, tephra, and volcanic ash. These volcanoes are characterized by a steep profile and periodic explosive eruptions. Many of these volcanoes exceed a height of 2,500 meters or 8,200 feet. The next volcano is a shield volcano. These are named due to its low profile resembling a warrior shield lying on the ground. It is formed by the eruption of highly fluid lava which travels farther and forms thinner flows than the more viscous lava erupted from a stratovolcano. The Fino is a cinder cone volcano. It is a steep hill of loose pyroclastic fragments, such as volcanic clinkers, volcanic ash, or cinder that has been built around a volcanic vent. These pyroclastic fragments are formed by explosive eruptions or lava fountains from a single, typically cylindrical vent. While not part of the official group of USGS volcanoes, supervolcanoes are volcanoes that produce eruptions that are greater than any other volcano on Earth. Supervolcano implies a volcanic center that has had an eruption of magnitude 8 on the Volcanic Explosivity Index, meaning that at one point in time, it erupted more than 1,000 cubic kilometers or 240 miles of material. Volcanic eruptions are based on the Volcanic Explosivity Index, or the VEI, for those of you who love acronyms. This is a relative measure of the explosiveness of volcanic eruptions. It was devised by Chris Newhall of the United States Geological Survey and Stephen Self at the University of Hawaii in 1982. Volcanic Explosivity Index is a numeric scale that measures the relative explosivity of historic eruptions, volume of products, eruption cloud height, and qualitative observations using terms ranging from gentle to mega colossal are used to determine the explosivity value. The scale is open-ended with the largest volcanic eruptions in history, super eruptions, given at magnitude 8. A value of 0 is given for non-explosive eruptions, defined as less than 10,000 
or 350,000 cubic feet of tephra ejected, and 8, representing a mega-colossal explosive eruption that can eject 1.0 to 1,012 or 240 cubic miles of tephra and have a cloud column height of over 20 kilometers or 12 miles. The scale is logarithmic, with each interval on the scale representing a tenfold increase in observed ejector criteria, with the exception of between VEI0, VEI1, and VEI2. Eruptions are actively occurring daily throughout the world, with as many as 20 actively erupting. According to the Smithsonian Institute's Global Volcanism Program, as of October 15, 2021, there are 48 volcanoes in continuing eruption status. In order to get a sense of just how damaging and dangerous these eruptions can be, let's take a look at past eruptions. This episode wouldn't be complete if we didn't discuss the eruption of Mount Vesuvius in the Italian region of Campania. Rated on the VEI scale as a 5, in the autumn of 79 AD, the volcano erupted, releasing superheated gases, a tephra well over 20 miles into the stratosphere. The explosion of Mount Vesuvius released 100,000 times the thermal energy of the atomic bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Estimated deaths from this event fall somewhere between 1,500 and 3,000, possibly up to 16,000. Pompeii, Herculaneum, Oplantis, and Stabiae were buried underneath the pyroclastic flows that raced into the settlements, leaving many unable to escape. The next eruption that we are going to discuss was rated a 7 on the VEI scale. The 1815 eruption of Mount Tambor led to a global cooling the following year in 1816, better known as the year without a summer. Mount Tambora is the most powerful volcanic explosion in recorded human history. The eruption ejected 38 to 51 cubic miles of material into the atmosphere, and a moderate tsunami struck islands around the Indonesian archipelago. The sheer amount of sulfur that was sent into the atmosphere led to lung infections around the world. The immediate results of the eruption created a food shortage in Indonesia and led to global crop failures due to the temperature fluctuations the following year. Nearly 100,000 people died as a result of this eruption. The explosion of Krakatawa on May 20, 1883 was ranked as a 6 on the VEI scale. This eruption lasted a total of 5 months, peaking on the 27th of August. 20 million tons of sulfur were released over a 5-year period, leading to a global cooling of 1.2 degrees Celsius or 2.2 degrees Fahrenheit. Following this eruption, 70% of the island collapsed into the caldera and killed over 36,000 people. The explosions were reportedly so violent that they could be heard over 1,900 miles away in Perth, Western Australia, and in Mauritius. And finally, rated a 6 on the VEI scale, the effects of the 1991 Mount Pinatubo eruption are still being felt to this very day. The eruption of Mount Pinatubo began well before the actual release of ash and lava from beneath the surface. On July 16, 1990, a 7.8 magnitude earthquake occurred approximately 60 miles northeast of the volcano, leading to a landslide and smaller local earthquakes. Many believed the volcano would continue its period of rest, however, this would not be the case. From June 7 to the 12th, the first magma reached the surface of Mount Pinatubo. The magma oozed out to form a lava dome, but did not cause an explosive eruption. However, on June 12, Philippine Independence Day, millions of cubic yards of gas-charged magma reached the surface and exploded in the reawakening volcano's first spectacular eruption. When even more highly charged magma reached Pinatubo's surface on June 15, the volcano exploded in a cataclysmic eruption that ejected more than one cubic mile, five cubic kilometers of material. 
The ash cloud from this climactic eruption rose 22 miles or 35 kilometers into the air. At lower altitudes, the ash was blown in all directions by the intense cyclonic winds of a coincidentally occurring typhoon, and winds at higher altitudes blew the ash southwestward. A blanket of volcanic ash, sand, and silt-sized grains of volcanic minerals and glass, and larger pumice lapilli, frothy pebbles, blanketed the countryside. Fine ash fell as far away as the Indian Ocean, and satellites tracked the ash cloud several times around the globe. As you can hear, volcanoes can cause enormous effects throughout the globe following an eruption. Following the discharge of millions of cubic feet of toxic gases, fine particulate matter, and rock, these debris can get trapped in the Earth's atmosphere and lead to global cooling, crop failures, and weather events such as increased rains leading to dangerous flooding and adverse health effects. In reality, volcanic eruptions are a multifaceted event. In one instance, you have ash scattering across the landscape, potentially affecting millions and destroying ecosystems for years into the future. The ash can mix with weather systems and fall back to Earth, creating potentially deadly weather phenomena. Whether you experienced an eruption or not, they can be extremely beautiful and awe-inspiring. Volcanoes are deadly and do not care to pose for your selfie, so please, when you get the warning, get away as fast as possible. In the immediate aftermath of an eruption, after a volcano has released the superheated ash, tephra, and rock into the atmosphere, this material eventually falls back to Earth, quickly spreading along the surface at well over 200 miles per hour, scorching the landscape and killing anything that is unable to escape in time. The pyroclastic flows contain two parts. The basal flow hugs the ground and contains larger, coarse boulders and rock fragments, while an extremely hot ash plume lofts above it because of the turbulence of the flow and the overlying air, admixing and heating cold atmospheric air causing expansion and convection. The majority of the volcanic eruptions note a major pyroclastic explosion of material into Earth's atmosphere. If mixed with rain, ash can become extremely heavy and lead to the partial or complete collapse of structures if enough ash accumulates. Just 20 centimeters of ash can lead to a building collapse if left to sit. If you live in a region that experiences heavy snowfalls each year, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. In addition to these ash loads, ground accumulation can stall emergency responses into the region, disrupt all array of communications such as cell phones, internet, and satellite. According to the Pacific Northwest Seismic Network, volcanic ash also clogs internal combustion vehicle engines air filters. Without these air filters, the fine glass particles could enter the engine and quickly erode and destroy the precision parts. Small amounts of ash in the atmosphere also interfere with aircraft. The susceptibility of aircraft that might fly through an ash cloud is a major driver of real-time monitoring of volcanoes, even in regions where little else is at risk. So, for those who think they could simply escape an ash plume following an eruption, it is very unlikely to be a viable option. As the ash sails into the Earth's atmosphere, the upper-level winds carry this ash globally, leading to the obscuration of the sun and cooling of world temperatures. Also known as volcanic winter, this follows a major eruption and can result in major implications such as animal and crop death. This is evident in the 1991 Mount Pinatubo eruption where global temperatures witnessed a drop between 2-3 to three years. The Mount Tambora eruption in Indonesia led to crop shortages in the United States and in Canada where midsummer frosts and June snowfalls resulted in crop failures and led to a sharp rise in the prices in many of the staple crops many rely on. Many don't realize just how detrimental global cooling could be if this were to happen today. Global travel could be significantly affected, leading to supply chain strains and food shortages around the globe. In a process known as bioaccumulation, 
volcanic eruptions can spew millions of tons of toxic material into the Earth's atmosphere. Due to this, contamination occurs and affects vegetation, surface water, soils, and groundwater. Heavy metals such as copper, cadmium, arsenic, and non-metal contaminants like fluorine enter the food chain and the effects are disastrous. According to FizzOrg, these contaminants can enter the food chain in a process known as bioaccumulation. Bioaccumulation occurs when organisms ingest and store contaminants that they cannot metabolize. These contaminants can become more concentrated as they travel up the food chain, poisoning livestock and humans. Bioaccumulation of heavy metals can cause some cancers, while bioaccumulation of nonmetals like fluorine can cause skeletal damage. Unfortunately, the effects can plague some communities for years and even decades later. Cancers and other diseases take time to manifest within the body and can remain dormant for years following an eruption event. According to the National Library of Medicine, increased cancer rates in populations in the Azores were relatively higher than those who didn't live in a region with an active volcano. Overall incidence rates were higher in the volcanically active area when observing all cancers and both sexes combined. However, the non-volcanically active area presented higher rates of cancer of digestive and respiratory organs, mainly in males, while the area with volcanic manifestations showed higher rates of cancer of lip, oral cavity, and pharynx in both sexes and female breast. Relative risk estimates between both populations suggest a higher risk for cancer in some group of organs and furnace, especially of lip, oral cavity, and pharynx cancer, and breast. That may be partially explained by the chronic exposure to environmental factors resulting from volcanic activity, such as hazardous gases and aerosols, much of them associated to trace metals. Volcanoes provide ample warning that an eruption is imminent. When this occurs, you should listen to the government agencies responsible for monitoring as your life depends on it. Do as they say and evacuate should you be prompted. One of the earliest signs of an imminent eruption is the increase in earthquakes surrounding the volcano. As the eruption grows near, the intensity of these earthquakes also grows as the magma and particulate matter begin to build and travel beneath the surface. Volcanoes will vent prior to an eruption. This is noticeable by steam seeping from beneath the ground and surrounding openings. As the magma draws near the top of the volcano, earthquakes could potentially stop, meaning that a much larger event is about to take place. Swelling has been noted in many major eruptions, such as Mount St. Helens in 1980. This generally means that the magma is near the surface, creating a pressure boundary that could erupt at any minute. After a quick break, we will discuss a volcanic eruption and the potential effects that could arise from this eruption, and what recovery would resemble. Welcome back. To round things off this week, we're going to be taking a look at an eruption occurring at Mount Rainier in the Cascade Mountain Range. Mount Rainier has erupted recently on the geologic timescale, most recently in 1820, 1858, and in 1894. The volcano is situated along the eastern portion of the Ring of Fire, and an eruption from this volcano could spell disaster for millions located in and around the site of the eruption. Mount Rainier is a stratovolcano, meaning that the next eruption that occurs, ash and pyroclastic flows could potentially rush from the site of eruption and strike those cities within the path. Due to the proximity of major metropolitan areas such as Seattle, Tacoma, Portland, and Vancouver, the effects of a major eruption could be felt as far south as San Francisco as the ash plume spreads into the stratosphere and gets carried by upper-level winds. Let's get into the theoretical eruption of Mount Rainier. On a beautiful spring day sometime in the near future, United States Geological Survey equipment identifies hundreds of small earthquake tremors in and around Mount Rainier. 
While this is not immediately a cause for concern, personnel monitor the gradually increasing tremors. Currently, there is no active early warning system in place, and the only thing that personnel can do is alert agencies that tremors are increasing, indicating a potential eruption event is in progress. One day later, steam begins to vent from the summit and in surrounding cavities, signaling that magma is on the move toward the surface. Personnel at both the USGS and the Pacific Northwest Seismic Network warn of a potential eruption at Mount Rainier. Steam continues to pour from the mountain, and nearly a week later, a massive magnitude 7 earthquake rocks the region, and a massive explosion of lava, ash, and particulate matter is witnessed escaping Mount Rainier. The initial explosion sends pyroclastic material well over 20 miles into the stratosphere, beginning to spread globally. Seattle's Office of Emergency Management quickly alerts the mayor and all division heads of an eruption. At this point, evacuation is not feasible. Instead, sheltering in place is recommended to all outside. Seattle-Tacoma suspends all departing and incoming flights, diverting them to airports east as the ash plume spreads toward the city of Seattle and Vancouver. An hour later, ash begins to fall to earth, blanketing the surrounding towns in downtown Seattle, Tacoma, and Everett. Emergency vehicles are unable to operate as the fine glass particles in the ash can infiltrate engine blocks and quickly destroy parts necessary for the operation of the engine. The surrounding towns of Ashford, Fairfax, Mineral, Eatonville, LeGrand, Clay City, Bruce Perry, and Packwood are flattened by the superheated, fast-moving pyroclastic flow. No one in these towns survives. The snow covering the summit is melted and leads to lahars that travel quickly along the ground, grabbing boulders and whatever debris it can and causes severe damage to roadway and bridges. Joint Base McCord personnel are recalled and placed on alert and begin moving aircraft and vehicles into hangars and shelters to prevent further damage. Traffic along I-5 is halted at Lakewood and is diverted to prevent further casualties and stranded vehicles. Those diverted from the roadway are gathered at Chambers Creek Trailhead, the nearby golf course, and Fort Steelacoom Park. Reunification stations are set up here for those stranded to call family and let them know they are safe. Cell phone, broadcast, and radio communications are sporadic as the volcanic ash covers radio towers. Additionally, a blackout occurs in Seattle and the surrounding cities due to ash causing flashovers on electric equipment at substations. In cities north of Seattle, traffic is also diverted from I-5 and into smaller towns where additional reunification centers are erected. In Vancouver, similar events are taking place and thanks to the distance from the eruption, the city and surrounding towns have longer to prepare. Community emergency response teams are activated as they can get into individual neighborhoods to check on neighbors and do preliminary damage assessments. The initial reports aren't good as thousands of homes in the immediate area are completely decimated and many downwind have experienced extreme ash loads leading to collapses. Deaths are in the tens of thousands as many in these towns were killed due to the pyroclastic flow. In less affected areas, those with chronic lung conditions begin to have trouble breathing as the toxic gases have fallen back to earth and mixed with the ash. This is the portion of the podcast where I urge you to have the adequate emergency supplies on hand. Emergency personnel are coming, but it could take a considerable amount of time. Ashfall can be a dangerous event following an eruption and can lead to death if appropriate actions are not taken. Recovery is an iterative process that takes a significant amount of time and resources to complete. As my region is not in the direct line of fire from a volcano, I have provided a list to you courtesy of the California Office of Emergency Services. If you are instructed to evacuate, grab your emergency kit and ensure your car is ready. Turn off the electricity and water in your home. Only turn off the gas if you suspect a leak or are instructed to do so. 
Gas can only be turned back on by a professional, which could take weeks. Disconnect the appliances in your house, take the route designated by your local authority, and be prepared for delays. Monitor television and radio stations for updates and further instructions. Do not return to the impacted area until told to do so by the proper authorities. If instructed to shelter in place, ensure you have an adequate supply of drinking water, as local water supplies may become contaminated. Gather extra water for cleanup. Use sinks, bathtubs, and other containers as available. Close and secure all windows and doors leading to the outside. If needed, seal with wet towels and or duct tape. Ensure all fans are off, including heaters and air conditioners and clothes dryers. If you have one, ensure your fireplace damper is closed securely. Move all pets or livestock inside. If not in the house, in a barn or garage, ensure there is enough food and water. Cover your cars, machinery, and electronics as ash may damage them. Do not uncover them until the environment is free of ash. Shelter all family members in a room on the lowest floor without windows. Listen to the television and or radio for updates. Do not open the house until given the all clear from proper authorities. I cannot stress the importance of being ready. Volcanoes provide ample amount of warning time for an eruption and should in turn provide you with enough time to gather the basic necessities to prepare both you and your immediate family for the eventuality of an eruption. With active volcanoes, it's not an if scenario, but when. Thank you to all those who tuned in this week. Please be sure to follow me on Instagram at destination period disaster, Twitter at dest disaster, that is D-E-S-T, D-I-S-A-S-T-E-R, and on TikTok at Destination Disaster Podcast. For those who are able, please consider becoming a patron and donating to the podcast so that we can help make the community a better prepared and resilient one. Until next week, this has been Destination Disaster. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.